It's a first for Florida and COVID-19 vaccines. The Florida Department of Health is going to uh, be the first state to officially recommend against the COVID-19 vaccines for healthy children. But the Centers for Disease Control recommends everyone five years old and older should get the doses. Plus, the culture war looms large as the legislative session in Tallahassee comes to a close. This is the Florida Roundup from WLRN Public Media in Miami and WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Melissa Ross. So what should Florida parents do? The state says healthy kids don't need a COVID-19 vaccine, but the federal government recommends they get the shots. We'll speak with a public health pediatrician. Then later, parents' rights and abortion restrictions. Republican lawmakers deliver on the governor's conservative social agenda. It's ahead on the Florida Roundup. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from Naples, Marco Island, and the Everglades, home to white sand beaches, warm gulf waters, elegant accommodations, fine dining, and more. For an unforgettable vacation, only paradise will do. Florida's Paradise Coast. Welcome to the Florida Roundup this week here on Florida Public Radio. Thanks for listening. In Miami, I'm Tom Hudson. In Jacksonville, I'm Melissa Ross. Well, this week, the Florida Department of Health said healthy kids do not need a COVID-19 vaccination. Florida Surgeon General Joseph Latipo made the announcement Monday. The Florida Department of Health is going to uh, be the first state to officially recommend against the COVID-19 vaccines for healthy children. Later that same day, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki criticized the Florida guidance. It's deeply disturbing that there are politicians peddling conspiracy theories out there and casting doubt on vaccinations when it is our best tool against the virus and the best tool to prevent even teenagers from being hospitalized. Now, this new Florida guidance is actually the opposite of what the Centers for Disease Control recommends. The federal agency says everyone aged five years and up should be vaccinated against COVID-19. But Florida's position is that healthy kids between the ages of 5 and 17 years old, quote, may not benefit from receiving the currently available COVID vaccine, end quote. So we're going to begin the hour with a closer look at this and hear from leading pediatricians around Florida. Let us know what you think, particularly if you're the parent of a young child or a tween or teenage child. Have you vaccinated your child? For COVID-19 protection or not, and why? 305-995-1800. Tweet us at Florida Roundup. Your phone calls at 305-995-1800. Coming up in just a few moments, Dr. Lisa Gwynn is with us here on the Florida Roundup, Associate Professor of Clinical Pediatrics and Public Health Sciences at the University of Miami. Dr. Gwynn, welcome back to Florida Public Radio. Nice to have you again. Thank you. Glad to be here. So the question on every parent's mind, uh, what's your recommendation as a pediatrician, as a public health sciences associate professor for healthy kids here in the Sunshine State uh, regarding COVID vaccinations if those children are between 5 and 17 years old? We are going to stand by what we've recommended all along, and that is that we do recommend the COVID-19 vaccine um, for children ages 5 to 17. Um, we will continue to, to make that recommendation. We will continue to stock the vaccine in our offices and administer the vaccine um, to all of those parents that will allow us to vaccinate their children. 
The recommendation from the state this week is that healthy kids may not benefit from the vaccines. The Department of Health does not say explicitly that kids should not get the vaccine. So is this an important distinction? I think they're playing uh, games with their wording of, of, you know, what is recommended and what isn't. Um, and I'm not quite sure what the, um, the rationale is. The data is, is very clear that, it, that the vaccine does provide protection against the virus. So um, we're rather confused uh, as to why or how they could make these recommendations because they are not based on this, the current scientific data. Dr. Gwen, in the statement that came out a day after the Florida Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Latipo, made the comment, uh, he wrote that, quote, at the present time, there are certain risks to consider that may outweigh benefits among healthy children with no underlying conditions. And then he had a short list of those, including um, a limited risk of severe cases of COVID-19 in children, existing immunity in children, and reduced vaccine efficacy among children. I mean, we, first of all, I mean, to, to, um, to account for each individual item that you mentioned, I mean, there is some what of a concern with the efficacy, the long-term efficacy of the five to 11 uh, dose. It is a reduced dose. Mm -hmm. um, we are doing studies right now to see when, um, when a booster is needed, regardless of the fact that, that what is the protection that is provided according to the data is sufficient to reduce the incidence of severe disease. And I have to say that children, some children do get severely affected by um, COVID-19. So um, again, for the most part, um, the, the, the virus doesn't cause severe illness, but in some children it does. And so again, we look at the overall risks and benefits and the benefits clearly outweigh the risks um, and so that is why we are still moving forward with continuing to recommend um, having all kids vaccinated. Dr. Gwen, one of the other concerns, I suppose, that uh, Dr. Latipo wrote about in his guidance that he released uh, through the uh, Florida Department of Health this week, he, he wrote that for adolescents 16 and 17 years of age, the risk of myocarditis due to COVID-19 vaccines may outweigh the benefits. What can you share that with us there? Yes, that is a totally false statement. Um, we looked at this very carefully uh, initially when, when adolescent boys were coming down with myocarditis. And again, the benefits outweigh the risks. None of those uh, teenagers um, had any long-term uh, sequelae from the myocarditis. It was very mild. They were all provided with supportive care and it complete, they all completely resolved. So um, again, this, this is a false statement. It's a false narrative. We're not quite sure what the intent is. Uh, we feel as though this is part of the political uh, narrative that is being pushed forward by Governor DeSantis. We've had a rough month with Governor DeSantis's actions, um, you know, not only from the legislation that's coming through um, against immigrant children, um, you know, he he basically bullied kids that that were with him on a, on a press conference at the University of South Florida, asking them to take remove their masks. 
Um, then we had a buck the CDC video that came out was that was just preposterous. And then, of course, you know, the, the it, they topped it off with the statement of not recommending COVID-19 vaccine for children. So we are I mean, we feel attacked in the medical community. Um, our pediatricians have worked so hard through this pandemic to keep kids safe. We all what we care most about is for our patients safety and health. Um, we don't have a political agenda. And so we are going to continue to um, push forth the evidence that is clear that vaccines are safe and effective for children. So what do you think, Florida? Leading pediatricians around the state say they believe, as we just heard, that Florida Surgeon General is pushing a false narrative about COVID vaccines for kids and teens. They believe uh, the Ron DeSantis administration is moving with a political agenda when it comes to public health. But we want to know what you think. Calls coming in from across the state. 305-995-1800. Tweet us at Florida Roundup. Let's begin with Bruno in Palm Coast. Hi, Bruno. Go ahead. Uh, Yeah, I had gotten my uh, stepson vaccinated. He was 16. He had actually already caught covid but we were hoping to not only protect him from future infections, but maybe uh, help him deal with the symptoms of long COVID. Because I guess it really messed with his sense of uh, smell and taste. And mm-hmm. he's been having issues with that to this day. Thanks for that. But uh, let's go to Dr. Gwen. Dr. Gwen, um, getting the vaccine after having the disease, uh, that is recommended, generally speaking, including for teens? Absolutely. And Bruno, that you brought up an excellent point. We have some children that have had very mild cases of COVID that have gone on with long, long, um, long hauler syndrome, which has a a multitude of different um, symptoms that we, you know, we're still in this pandemic. It is not over yet. I mean, yes, we we we're coming out of the pandemic phase, but COVID, the virus is here to stay. And so Um, yes, we don't have all the answers. And the only way to protect children, even if they've already had children and adults, for that matter, um, the only way for for future protection to keep their antibodies up uh, and and at protective levels is to have the vaccine. Dr. Quinn, the per capita case rate of COVID-19 in the state of Florida is lowest for five to 17 year olds. The death rate is one half of one percent. Uh, this is data that the Department of Health and others who are supporting uh, what they call parental choice, uh, they say shows the low, low, low risk of COVID-19 in terms of severe cases to children. So this is true, um, but this is also true of other communicable diseases that we vaccinate against. So, you know, they're, they're again, they're choosing to to highlight the COVID vaccine um, as opposed to all of the other vaccines that we, vac- I mean, vaccinations are our business in pediatrics. I mean, we start vaccinating kids from the second they're born. Um, but but yes, it is low, but it doesn't mean that your child isn't you going to be the one to get sick. Dr. Gwen, Melissa Ross, uh, that brings to mind a related question. Are you concerned, are pediatricians concerned that uh, recommending against this vaccine will lead parents to question and start to refuse other critical childhood vaccines? Melissa, absolutely. As a matter of fact, we, um, 
uh, the Florida chapter of the Academy of Pediatrics, our advocacy group actually met with lawmakers this um, session to just plead with them to keep the existing vaccine schedule in place. Because yes, we are worried. We are worried that, uh, that, that this threat will become a reality. It will go from COVID-19 to some of the other, vac all of the other vaccinations that we are recommending for children. Um, vaccines are the, one of the greatest public health accomplishments of all time. And this is a direct threat to the, to the health of, uh, and safety of our communities. And so we all have to stand up to this and again, um, you know, have our faith in science. It's taken us to, to this point. Um, and we, we just have to, to keep fighting the fight. The phone lines are lit up from across the state as we discuss Florida's Surgeon General this week recommending that parents not vaccinate their kids for COVID-19. This is the direct opposite of the medical advice being given by most pediatricians and public health experts, including the Centers for Disease Control. Lots of tweets. Here's one from Frank. Let parents make the decision. However, others strongly disagree. One listener says this is so wrong headed and upside down. It boggles the mind. Carlos has been holding in Plantation, Florida. Hi, Carlos. Go ahead, please. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks Hello. for calling. And I just want to say that my wife is a pediatrician and, you know, we have our kid, you know, who is five year old vaccinated since, you know, since, you know, the vaccine was available and, she feels, you know, I feel and she feels that it's going to be such more, you know, such a, a difficult way, you know, to get, you know, more kids vaccinated. That's that's really like, that's really not good because we really need to have people, more people vaccinated. I think it's just a stunt, you know, that his governor is doing in Florida that he wants to be showing the on the national stage. And but he's not thinking about the health of the kids. He's not thinking about the health of the people. Carlos, thanks. You know, Dr. Gwynn, how much more challenging does this public health messaging from Florida's top physician make it for pediatricians in the state uh, who they've mainly been speaking with one voice about this from the onset of the pandemic? Yes. And, and parents that are listening, you know, I mean, you all, you know, who have children and go to their pediatrician, I mean, it, it is the trusted, we are the trusted source of medical information for your children. All I can say is absolutely, it's parental choice, what you, you know, whether you vaccinate your child or not. But all I can say is pediatricians are exhausted, but we're not giving up. You know, again, as I mentioned earlier, our main focus is to keep our patients, you know, healthy and safe. And so, you know, my suggestion is to, to not listen to the rhetoric to go to your pediatrician and to make the informed decision together. Um, the caller, Carlos, you, he's absolutely right. You know, the, we are struggling with increasing vaccination rates right now. We've kind of plateaued and we're not sure what it's going to take to, um, you know, we're hoping that there isn't going to be another surge, but we, you know, with this virus, we just, we have no idea what the next day is going to bring. So, um, I just encourage everybody to to talk to their health care providers, you know, pediatricians, um, and to make those informed decisions for their children. Vaccination rate in Florida for children 5 to 17, about 40 percent, according to the latest data from the Florida Department 
of Health. Let's talk to Bill waiting in Sarasota. Bill, thanks for listening and calling. Go ahead. You're on the radio. Hi, this is Dr. Bill in Sarasota, Florida. I just wanted to mention, although I don't agree with all of the census type of <clears throat> politics and putting our health on the line, people need to realize that the, the virus has evolved from the Delta, which was very deadly, many hospitalizations and deaths, to the Omicron, which is 90% less worrisome, whether you've been vaccinated or not, and those are the realities. The other thing is you're a lot less likely to go to the hospital. So when you talk about vaccinating our kids, there's another factor that people aren't taking into consideration. And it's really important. The one is that this is not a traditional vaccine. It is not one that has been put through and uh, the regular uh, regimen that is normal because of the warped speed uh, program. So it hasn't had the testing normal. It is an mRNA, messenger RNA. Messenger RNA simply means it is not a vaccine in the traditional sense. It is a change in the genetic code of it. So not everybody feels comfortable vaccinating the kids, especially the young uh, daughters, with the vaccine, as with myself. So there are question marks because of the long-term implications of a genetic modification that has not had traditional testing because of the warped green program. Got it. Uh, Bill, thank you. Let's uh, let's hear more from Dr. Gwen. When, when we're talking about the genetic modification, we're talking about the modification to the uh, disease the, 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 uh, used in the vaccine, not to any kind of genetic change that happens in someone being vaccinated against this. Dr. Yes. Gwen, uh, uh, deal with those two concerns that uh, Dr. Bill in Sarasota puts voice to, the speed at which this vaccine was developed and the type of vaccine that it is. So the technology has been around for um, decades. It has been used in other treatment modalities for cancer. Um, it does not affect the ge- genetic makeup of the, um, the person that is um, immunized. It is a different mechanism of action. It's actually um, the, the direction of vaccine production is gonna be going in this, in this way. It is the most high tech um, highly, actually, there's not vaccines aren't really studied in animals. the The, the efficacy is um, is studied in humans. So I'm not sure what type of doctor Dr. Bill is, but mm-hmm. um, it, that what he said was incorrect. Um, as far as the the number of years that it's been studied, um, because of the the only reason why um, vaccines take a long time. To, to, to be studied is because of the um, amount of money that's put into um, the research, the R&D. Because this, we were in the middle of a pandemic, um, you know, millions, billions of dollars was invested in the, the research and development of these vaccines and went through right. all of the same rigorous standards that regular vaccines would go, go through. So The vaccine manufacturers only- are quick to point out no steps were skipped in That's the vaccine manufacturing process, nor in the regulatory process as well. Less than a minute left, Dr. Gwen, but I'd just like to get your quick thoughts here on this BA2 variant, the so-called Deltacron uh, variant. Are, are you, you know, what are your quick thoughts about that? potential uh, risk. Yes, I mean yes, it is a potential risk that we are watching very closely. Um people are still getting covid, people that are vaccinated are still getting covid. Um you know, the monoclonal antibodies uh that we initially had are not effective, so we now have new monoclonal antibodies that are coming to market, also preventative antibodies that people that are immunocompromised can um can have as well as oral medications. So there are a lot of amazing things on the forefront of um, combating this this um, this virus. 
Um, but yes, we always have to look out for these variants yeah. and the CDC and the world. They're, we're all working together on this. Doctor, and, uh, uh, yes. Dr. Gwen, thank you so much for spending the time with us. If you're on the phone, by the way, stick with us. We're going to continue the conversation. We're going to say goodbye, however, to Dr. Lisa Gwen, Associate Professor of Clinical Pediatrics and Public Health Sciences at the University of Miami. Dr. Gwen, thanks for sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you, Tom. More to come on the Florida Roundup here from Florida Public Radio. Stick with us. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from Naples, Marco Island, and the Everglades, home to white sand beaches, warm gulf waters, elegant accommodations, fine dining, and more. For an unforgettable vacation, only paradise will do. Florida's Paradise Coast. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup, and thanks for listening and supporting public media. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. In Miami, I'm Tom Hudson. We're talking about the latest guidance from the Florida Department of Health uh, regarding it not recommending COVID-19 vaccinations for healthy kids in the state of Florida between the ages of 5 and 17. Uh, Wendy sent us this tweet at Florida Roundup. I'm a pediatrician and both my young daughters are vaccinated. I recommend vaccination to my patients. The vaccine is used to keep you out of the hospital and from becoming very sick. Share your thoughts on social media at Florida Roundup. Lend your voice to us. Uh, regardless of where you stand on politics, uh, public health, we want to hear from you across the state of Florida. 305-995-1800. 305-995-1800. Your calls and tweets in just a bit. But first, Dr. Jeff Goldhagen joins us. He's chief of the Division of Community and Societal Pediatrics at UF Health Jacksonville, former director of the Duval County Health Department. Dr. Goldhagen, always good to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. You know, this week, the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murphy, tweeted out a very different public health message than the one we heard from Florida Surgeon General. Here's the tweet from Murphy. He said, children shouldn't die from preventable illnesses. That's why we vaccinate them. It's why we vaccinate kids for polio, measles, mumps, varicella, and influenza. And it's why the American Academy of Pediatrics and the CDC recommend that kids get the COVID-19 vaccine. Dr. Goldhagen, as one of the leading pediatricians in Florida, share with us your thinking and your reaction to the state's position recommending against these shots for children. Well, I can tell you in 40 plus years of uh, working as a pediatrician and in medicine, this is the first time when I've experienced a physician, in this case, Dr. Latipo, uh, prioritizing his political, his political aspirations at the expense of the health and well-being and lives of children. This is a grievous, grievous assault against children, uh, against parents, against families. Uh, and there's no place for this in medicine, and there's no place for this in public health. And frankly, there's no place for Dr. Latipo uh, in the state of Florida. We should mention we did invite Dr. Latipo onto this program and were, were unable to confirm him. Uh, let me ask you, what about the recommendation that the state and Dr. Latipo is putting out, saying that healthy kids may not benefit from the vaccines, that the risk is so low to minors that they may not get enough benefit from the shot? Well, I listened to Dr. Gwynn's uh, presentation or discussion, and she was 100% right. The, uh, the, uh, this is all about risk and benefits. 
Uh, the vaccine is about 90% effective in preventing disease. Uh, and if you take a look at uh, children who are hospitalized and end up in the uh, intensive care units and or, and or who die, uh, none of them um, were, vac- were uh, vaccinated. Uh, and the, the statistic of a half a percent um, is one way of looking at it. If you have millions and millions of children, a half a percent of millions of children is a significant number of children who are being hospitalized uh, and and or who are are dying. The other perspective is, is that we do not know the long term effects of covid disease. There's no reason to not expect that a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, uh, that children might experience the effects of the disease. There's no reason to expect that they would uh, they would be experiencing the effects from from vaccination. So that we know the vaccine to be effective. We know the vaccine to be safe. We do not know the impact of long-term COVID on children and the future. And we can be assured that there will be another variant. Uh, another variant. Uh, and that the only way of protecting children today uh, for tomorrow is to get them vaccinated. These were political decisions made at the expense of the of the health and well-being of children, which is uh, which is criminal from my perspective. You believe the recommendation by the Florida Surgeon General is criminal? Yes, I do believe now. That's uh, from a legal perspective, we'd have to uh, allow uh, lawyers to make that decision. With respect to violating uh, the oath that we all take as physicians, yes, I think from that perspective, it's an unadulterated... The Hippocratic Oath? You're talking yes. about the Hippocratic Oath? First do no Yes, it's no an harm. unadulterated violation of that Hippocratic Oath to always do what's in the best interest of our patients and and the community and those that are enabling Dr. Latipo to take these positions, I think, need to are be you, addressed. Are you advocating that Dr. Latipo be sued for malpractice or uh, sued to go after his medical license? Do you feel strongly enough, you and other uh, child health experts, do you, do you feel strongly enough about this that you think that should be a course of action? I and I would leave that up to uh, legal experts. Um, however, I do believe that uh, about a year ago or so, the boards, the Internal Medicine Board, the Board of Pediatrics, Family Medicine, uh, did come out to say that those those physicians who were peddling conspiracy theories and inaccuracies should be reprimanded and have their board certification removed. I think this is sufficient reason to uh, consider having Dr. Latipo's board certification removed. Now, the Internal Medicine Board would be the entity that can uh, can do that. Uh, clearly, how he was surreptitiously appointed, uh, the, uh, given a, a license here in the state in a matter of two weeks when it takes the rest of us six months, I don't think the Board of Medicine in the state would, uh, would address those issues. However, the University of Florida was the entity uh, that recruited uh, Dr. Latipo surreptitiously, appointed him, gave him tenure, 
and is enabling now Dr. Latipo to remain in that in that position. The, the University of Florida is also uh, paying over $300,000 a year to support his salary that would allow him to stay uh, in, in, in this position as Surgeon General. So I think the mistake that physicians are making, I think the mistake that uh, that medical organizations are making is to address this issue as a medical issue. This is not a medical issue. Uh, there is no question that vaccines work. There's no questions that the, uh, the, the balance between risk and benefit clearly, clearly falls uh, on, the, on the scale of, of, of benefit. This is a political issue and we need to be addressing this as a political issue in particular because the lives of children are at stake. Children, because of this policy, will get sick, they'll be hospitalized, and unfortunately, there's a chance that some will die because of this political position. Dr. Goldhagen, stick with us. We want to hear from you Floridians uh, here on Florida Public Radio on the Florida Roundup, 305-995-1800. In Clearwater, Jack has been holding on. Uh, Jack, go ahead. You are on the radio. Hi, um, I I just wanted to say that while I agree that in some cases adults getting vaccinated is important, I actually disagree with the fact that children, healthy children, should be vaccinated. Um, I know that a lot of uh, my friends, I don't personally have children, but I have friends who have young children around the five to eight eight year old range, and. Um, I just don't see the benefit of getting children at that age vaccinated because I believe that children should have the opportunity to get this disease just like they get the flu, just like they get everything else. I mean, I, I see the flu shot um, as very similar to the COVID, um, what they call vaccination. I, I tend to believe it's more like a flu shot because if it was a vaccination, like you get hep, hep A, hep B, hep all the different vaccinations, you only have to get those once. There's no boosters. They're over and done with on the first time because they vaccinate you. But this one, you continue to have to get boosters because there's new strains that come out. And I, I strongly feel that you should allow children at this young age to let their immune systems become robust, become resilient. And just like in every circle of life, I think that there unfortunately is a portion that gets sick and die, but at the expense of all the other children, I think that parents should definitely have the choice. I think that when the state comes in and says, you have to do this, I'm taking away your ability to raise your children the way you want to raise them. I think that's a very dangerous line to run. Jack, I hear you. A couple of things there to address. Dr. Goldhagen on the medical, on the, on the childhood side in terms of of uh, vaccines and uh, uh, Jack's uh, contention that his friends uh, and he thinks his friends' kids should develop natural immunity. I'd like you to address that, and then I want to circle back around to this idea of, of parental choice because I, th- I think we need to make clear that that there's no mandate for vaccines in the state of Florida regarding the COVID-19 vaccine. There wasn't before Dr. Latipo's comment and change in recommendation, and there's certainly not today. Yeah, well, I think uh, he's 100% right. Uh, we sh- and in fact, he will probably get his wish because this is the first uh, uh, part of a longer term uh, initiative, I'm sure, as part of the 
um, in this administration to eliminate all vaccines and all vaccine mandates. And yeah, I think we should allow kids to get polio. And I think we should allow kids to get chicken pox. And I think we should allow kids to get. I think you're being cynical here, right? Dr. Goldhagen, cynicism sometimes uh, does not work so well on the radio. I just want to be clear. Yes. Well, yes, I am being extremely, extremely cynical. Uh, he, uh, He could not be further than the truth. And in fact, most of our vaccines do require uh, do require boosters. Uh, we give vaccines at two, four and six months, the same vaccine, because that's requires it requires three doses, then we give another dose before the before they get into uh, kindergarten, and then we give another dose later, later. So in fact, almost all of our vaccines require multiple doses over the course of the life course of the child in order to be effective. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. Let's go to Helen in St. Augustine. Hi, Helen. Hi. Hey, go ahead. Thank you. I appreciate it. I was shocked by your last caller, but I called in to to heartily agree with Dr. Goldhagen, uh, Dr. Gwynn. Their expertise is wonderful. Uh, Ladepo must have gotten his degree from a Cracker Jack box. It is a travesty. It is indeed. An well, he actually is highly farm. credentialed, but but he isn't a specialist in, in this well, kind of it, aspect of medicine. But go ahead. Go ahead. All I really want to say as a parent is that Florida is returning to the dark ages with leadership like this. And it's a travesty. So as a parent of a child who suffered long-term COVID and is still suffering from it, from a, the parent of a child with a chronic illness, who as soon as she was eligible for the vaccine at 11, we jumped right on it. Parents need to listen and understand that the vaccine, its premise is to protect the adults. The children protect the adults. The adults protect the children when they're vaccinated. And that only 40% of children in this state are vaccinated is truly demoralizing and exhausting. And it's just a tragedy that we are receiving such confusion, which is indeed political, um, under DeSantis's regime. So that's really all I wanted to say is from one parent to any parent listening, please disregard advice like this and take care of your baby. Helen, thanks. Dr. Goldhagen, you know, to my knowledge, this is the first time a state surgeon general has come out with this kind of recommendation. Are you concerned that other states could follow Dr. Latipo's lead? And as you as you hinted at earlier, that this could lead to a cascading effect where more and more parents just start to refuse other vaccines that we've counted on for decades to protect kids, the polio vaccine, uh, and many others that you that you mentioned. Absolutely. Uh, this, uh, this will, as we've seen in other political situations over the past several years, this will lead to other states taking the same uh, same positions for sure. It will continue to confuse parents. It will continue to sow seeds of, of uh, questioning uh, that will result in, as you just said, questions related to other vaccines. But I'm it's but I'm more concerned that in fact uh, in that Florida will move to actually make all vaccines for children voluntary, uh, and then that puts us back into the into the 1950s again, 
And as you know, that the one of the one of the core principles of vaccination is that you need to reach herd immunity. And as soon as we lose herd immunity, and we have seen measles outbreaks as an example popping up around the country, as soon as you lose herd immunity for these diseases, then what we will see, we'll see the resurgence of diseases that kill children. Uh, once again in our in our country, and that's where we are headed because of this type of politically motivated public policy. Heather has been listening in Orlando and uh, has an experience she'd like to share with us. Heather, thanks for calling. You're on the radio. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Um, sort of to the point, actually, of uh, the importance of reaching herd immunity and maintaining herd immunity within our communities. Um, I have a nine-year-old son who has a rare genetic condition, and he's on a chemo medication for it. Luckily for him, he's able to be fully vaccinated, including the flu vaccination, including COVID, as soon as it was available, of course. Um, But other children who have similar conditions are not able to. And this has been an incredibly isolating time for those children, mine included. Um, Even now that he's vaccinated, we're still very careful. And I'm wondering, to that point, um, you know, where the conversation is about social responsibilities for the parents who can vaccinate to vaccinate their children so that kids like mine and other children like him can go to school and go to summer camp and not have to worry as much and continue quite as isolated. Thank you. Heather, thanks. Thanks for that. Dr. Goldhagen, she's getting at what you were talking about earlier you vaccinate for to protect yourself, but it's also an act of protecting an entire community. Right, and that's a principle and a precedent that has been established and accepted in the United States for uh, for the past 60, 60 years. Uh, and uh, to violate that principle and that precedent now for political reasons uh, is extremely, extremely dangerous. And I might also add uh, that it reflects a complete disregard uh, and disrespect for children. Uh, We have to remember that even today, kids between six months and five years or or under five years cannot be cannot be vaccinated. And the the figure of 40 percent is really high. It's far less than that for kids under the age of 12. It's about to 25 percent. And so uh, until we until we go back to our understanding of social responsibility and the role well, that this we is all where we'll play. be and what we'll have to stop there. Uh, Dr. Jeff Goldhagen, UF Health Jacksonville, always great to have you on the show. Thanks. Pleasure's mine. And thank you for all that you're doing. Still to come from abortion to immigration to education bills. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from Naples, Marco Island, and the Everglades, home to white sand beaches, warm gulf waters, elegant accommodations, fine dining, and more. For an unforgettable vacation, only paradise will do. Florida's Paradise Coast. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup here on Florida Public Radio. Thanks for supporting public radio in your community. I'm Tom Hudson in Miami. I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. Well, the end of Florida's regular legislative session is today, Friday. They will return on Monday in a shorter session to finish work on the state budget. Meanwhile, Republican lawmakers delivered on Governor DeSantis's conservative culture agenda, passing bills that restrict abortion to 15 weeks of pregnancy with 
no restrictions for rape or incest. Another bill, penalizing companies transporting undocumented immigrants to Florida. And there's a measure that bans certain topics from some classroom teaching, such as sexual orientation and gender identity. Yeah, supporters call that bill uh, the parental uh, rights in education. Opponents refer to it as the don't say gay bill. Miami High School senior Javier Gomez led a rally outside of his school against the proposal. He's president of his school's Gay Straight Alliance. When I was about five to eight years old, I knew that I was different. Obviously, I was bullied at school for my pitch voice, for my like girly hand gestures. I was really I was called, you know, these pungent words that really silenced me. But there was this one teacher, my fifth grade teacher, he was openly gay himself. So seeing that and seeing him be authentically himself was that kind of notion for me to be, for, to feel represented and safe. Before the final vote this week, the governor defended the legislation, saying that opponents are misrepresenting its goal. How many parents want their kindergartners to have transgenderism or something injected into classroom instruction? And so I think those are very young kids. Um, I think uh, the legislature is basically trying to give parents assurance that, you know, they're going to be able to go and this stuff's not going to be there. So let's talk about the culture agenda that's coming out of the supermajority Republican legislative session here in 2022 as it winds up the regular session on this Friday as we're talking. 305-995-1800 to share your thoughts on the work that lawmakers have done on your behalf as constituents here in the state of Florida. 305-995-1800 or at Florida Roundup on Twitter. Lynn Hatter is news director at WFSU in Tallahassee and joins us now with more about these measures. Hi, Lynn. Hi, thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. Let's begin with the bill that we've just been talking about, parental rights and education. Critics have called it the Don't Say Gay Bill, and it's gotten national criticism. Let's explain exactly what the legislation says, if we could, and the type of impact it's expected to have on educators and kids. Sure. So the parental rights and education bill would basically ban any instruction on gender identity and sexual identity in grades kindergarten through third. For other grades, any sort of instruction would have to be age appropriate. Now, the definition of age appropriate will actually have to be decided at the Florida Department of Education. Um, And this is the section of the bill where critics point to it and say, well, what does that even mean? And that's the part of the bill that would um, also, which actually has generated a lot of the uproar. But the bill is much more expansive than this. It also tells schools and districts that they cannot keep information about a child's physical, mental, or emotional health from parents. Um, The broader part of the bill actually stems from an issue here in Leon County where parents notified a school that their child um, was experiencing some issues around their gender identity. The parents were trying to be proactive. The school wrote a care plan and allowed the child to select whether or not they wanted their parents um, to to be informed. The bill basically says you cannot do that anymore. If something is going on with a child, you have to notify the parent. And this is where a lot of those concerns come from. And that's kind of where a lot of the consternation and back and forth that you've been hearing between Governor DeSantis and a lot of LGBTQ 
Q groups come in, um, specifically about A, the kindergarten through third grade ban on instruction, and then the broader part of the bill, which is basically telling schools that any decision that you are making around the health care of a child, you have to inform the parents. The governor attacked a major player in this state over this Walt Disney World. Disney lobbied against this bill. How unusual is it for a Florida governor to criticize one of the state's most economically important companies? Well, it's highly unusual. Disney wields a lot of power. It is one of our biggest industries, tourism is, and Disney is a major anchor to that. And Disney has often donated to a lot of Republican lawmakers on a broad swath of issues that are central to its business interests. For the governor to begin to go back and forth um, with Disney is, is highly unusual. Um, I don't know what this means for Disney, to be quite honest with you. Um, I don't cover that particular beat, but I can speak to the fact of this is definitely out of the ordinary. Um, And it came about because a lot of people who were worried about this bill realized that they weren't making inroads with Republican lawmakers. And so they started to basically work on the companies that donate to Republican lawmakers. And that is basically how Disney got involved um, in this issue. And you're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. We're speaking with Lynn Hatter, News Director at WFSU, our sister station in Tallahassee, keeping an eye on this final day of the regular legislative session, talking about the culture agenda that Governor DeSantis uh, has been successful in getting support uh, with the Republican lawmakers during the last 60 days. 305-995-1800. 305-995-1800. Sharon is listening in in Deland. Sharon, thanks for listening. You are on the radio. Hi. Um, I have a question about the legislation that restricts um, discussion of sexual orientation. I'm wondering, how does that not also restrict discussion of heterosexual families? Um, you know, does that take off the table material with a mom and a dad, king and a queen? Um, you know, it seems like anything otherwise wouldn't be constitutional. And I'll confess I haven't read this, the text of the legislation. So how does that actually work out in practice? Lynn, uh, any thoughts there? So that's an interesting one, and that's a, a theme that has come up repeatedly. Um, there was actually a several amendments that tried to ban any discussion around sexual education altogether. Um, and the person who sponsored that amendment basically said, why are we only targeting um issues around gender and sexual identity, let's just say if we don't want kids learning about sex, then we're not going to teach them about sex between grades kindergarten through third. That bill failed repeatedly. Um, I don't believe that any of the lawmakers who uh, wrote this bill ever actually considered conversations around um, heterosexual families. Um, That has never come up. And it it is a good question. Um, There is actually uh, Equality Florida, which is a major LGBTQ advocacy group, has already signaled that they will likely sue over this. To your caller's point, the Mm -hmm. language in this bill um, is very vague. How are some of these things decided? Is the, the 
legislation itself does not say. Um, and that organization is actually saying, hey, you know, we're going to use lawmakers' own words against them. Um, it goes to that uh, soundbite that you played earlier with Governor Ron DeSantis, who, said, who has said a lot of these bills are being misconstrued. But if you listen to the debate on the floor and you listen to the conversations that lawmakers themselves are having, that tells you a lot about what these pieces of legislation actually do. Just because a bill does not have the exact words in it, um, a lot of it goes to intent and what is the intent of this legislation. And so this is going to be something that, again, is likely heading to courts, how they will decide. I don't have a crystal ball and I don't know. And I can tell you that that particular question is not something lawmakers uh, Republican lawmakers specifically, um, likely considered when they were drafting this particular piece of legislation. People tweeting the show, why all the focus on abortion, the anti-woke bill, the so-called don't say gay bill, when Florida has big problems like soaring rents? Uh, just a bit of time left, Lynn, but there were several other pieces of legislation going to the governor's desk. Uh, critics say at the expense of bread and butter issues in the state. You heard a lot, um, especially from Democrats who were very upset that lawmakers did not focus more on the issue of affordable housing. Um, the legislature did at the very last minute squeeze in a gas tax break uh, that will happen later this summer. But for the most part, a lot of the, the, the big sort of bread and butter issues were left aside. You saw bills that were meant to address structural issues um, stemming from the Surfside collapse. Those, a lot of those bills died. And this was a session that was really focused on those culture war issues, immigration, abortion, critical race theory, something that is not even taught um, in K through 12 schools, but yet has become very much a Republican banner. Those were the issues that Governor Ron DeSantis wanted state lawmakers to address. And those are the issues that lawmakers did go for. Lynn Hatter, news director at WFSU in Tallahassee, always rounding up news out of the state capitol for us. Thanks for joining us here on the final day of the legislative session to educate everyone around the state for being uh, being with us here on the Florida Roundup. Thanks so much, Lynn, for joining us. Thanks. Take care. And, you know, we, we didn't even get to all of the, the other bills, Tom. We ran out of time. <laughs> did, uh, there yeah. was just too much to get to. But uh, we got most of it on, so uh, thanks, everyone, and thanks for listening. The Florida Roundup, produced by WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville and WLRN Public Media in Miami. Heather Schatz and Natu Tway are producers. Catherine Hobbs is associate producer. WLRN's director of radio operations and the program's technical director is Peter Mertz. We get engineering help each and every week. Doug Peterson, Charles Michaels, and Josh Torres. Richard Ives answers the phones. Our theme music is provided by Miami jazz guitarist Aaron Lebos at AaronLebos.com. Have a great weekend. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Melissa Ross. We'll be back next Friday at noon. Support for the Florida Roundup comes from Naples, Marco Island, and the Everglades, home to white sand beaches, warm gulf waters, elegant accommodations, fine dining, and more. For an unforgettable vacation, only paradise will do. Florida's Paradise Coast.